Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. iCommunicate, and uh, if you'd like to call on the show, the number is 508-871-7000. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Happy to be with you here today. And, you know, we talk a lot on this show about emotional intelligence and uh, specifically how to manage yourself, self-awareness, and blind spots. So the name for the show today is The Blind Leading the Blind. And I'm sure you're all familiar with that expression. It really speaks to when leaders um, are struggling to direct and give other people guidance on how to proceed, and they're not quite sure how to do that themselves. So today we're going to talk about knowing your blind spots as a leader, what are some things you need to be aware of, and uh, back by popular demand, as a matter of fact, uh, I've been sorting through this guy's fan mail for weeks now, so I had to bring him back. Uh, Robert Bush from uh, Connection, Senior Director of Sales. Thrilled to have you back, Robert. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, second go-around on a radio show. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good to know our first go-around was a success. So I'm, I'm very excited, and, and today's topic is uh, you know, a really good one. So. Awesome. Uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. So, so Robert, I guess my first question is, I want to start with kind of a funny question because the whole show is going to be about how to be more self-aware and mindful. So, you know, I, I wear a lot of hats at Mindset Go, right? I am president of the company. I do training, coaching, speaking, consulting. I'm doing operational things. So I guess my first question is, if I were to call you and, uh, pitch my sales training or consulting to you going into that call what should what should I be aware of guide me on uh, what I should be thinking going into that call it's a great question uh, an interesting one to say the least uh, you know first thing that comes to mind is the corporate culture you know one of one of the things I've noticed over the years that the culture of a company tends to morph into a life of its own. Um, you know, we, we've got a bunch of individuals that make up, uh, you know, an organization, a company, etc. And, you know, the, the collect of those uh, kind of forms uh, a, a culture within the company that, that does create and take on its own life and its own persona. And I think that's one of the most important things, in my opinion, that comes to mind. And then quickly followed by, you know, understanding what our needs are. And I, and I don't think that's a, an easy question to answer either, because if we knew what our needs were, we probably wouldn't need help. So, so as an organization trying to kind of bring us around to a point where, you know, we can, we can look ourselves in, in the eyes as an organization and say, you know, what, what is it we're not doing well today? Where do we really need the help? Because I think if the answer was obvious, we just, we wouldn't need help at all, right? So, Robert, let's go. Let's let's attack both of those because they both have so much merit. I want to go back to the corporate culture question. So, when you say corporate culture, I'm going to give you an example of something I always wonder uh, in the early stages of a call, and that is uh, what how learning and development is prioritized within that culture, because a lot of times there's this whole mindset of, from my perspective, of I can call you and 
figure out exactly what you need, tell you something you didn't even think you need. But at the end of the day, if learning and development isn't part of the culture, and frankly, Robert, final final thought to this question is, usually if it isn't part of the culture, one of the main reasons is because we don't have time. There's no time for learning and development. we got too much to do. So is that what you mean by corporate culture? And even if not, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're you're spot on with with regards to the culture. You know what what type of environment is fostered within your organization, and you know time clearly is is the enemy, or uh, can can certainly be an ally in, in many cases. Uh, but that takes a lot of work. Um, you know when you start looking at you know the culture and and does the culture of the organization foster an environment where you know learning and you know self-reflection and having that time uh, to to look at areas of improving uh, its workforce and its people. And, um, you know, that's, that's a huge investment, and it's something that needs to take place. Also, you know, it's, it's an interesting topic as well, and I don't know how far we want to go down with this, but it's, it's something you just can't turn on and off. And, um, you know, I look at, you know, how the relationship you and I have Today and how that morphed, and you know, it, it took it took a while uh, to to get get me to a point where you know the the, the train was really rolling, right? Uh, because you're talking about going from a standstill, trying to get the train to move, uh, and then once you get it moving, you know, then it tends to pick up speed. You know, the more we focus uh, internally, uh, the more things seem to change, kind of all around us. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that if you're not doing it all the time and you're not focused on, um, you know, uh, making yourself better and improving and trying to make the organization better and improving the organization, it's just something that's hard to kind of turn on and off. You've got to, it's one of those things I feel like you just got to keep it going once you get it going because it's just so hard to restart. Well, I, I think that's an important point for a few reasons. You know, you get you get three things. When I go into an organization, there's three things that I'm trying to accomplish. First of all, like you said, Robert, to get the train moving from the standstill position. And it's not always at a standstill, but it often is. And so if people aren't used to learning, if people aren't used to prioritizing and development and putting time aside for growth, there's that. The second thing is the continuous learning element which is keeping the train moving, as you're suggesting. And that's a huge piece. And a lot of organizations will say, hey, come in and let's do five straight days of training and then thanks, we're done with you. And my answer is always, that's not how learning works. You know, there has to be reinforcement, continuous growth. And the third piece, Robert, is is the sustaining of the learning, right? Because even if it's continuous, to keep and sustain the momentum you have uh, is a critical factor. So, I love the part you're making about corporate culture. And, you know, I think when you speak to understanding the needs, this is the funny thing about sales. You know, people, whether it's consultative selling or whatever style of selling you're used to, people are always taught to understand the needs of the organization. My experience is, and I'm going to give you a very simple, quick example. My experience is the best salespeople um, help people figure out what their actual needs are you know, for example, often I'll get a phone call and someone will say, you know, our, our salespeople just aren't doing a really good job closing. And once I get asking questions and once we get into discovery mode, it turns out that 
the reason why they're not doing a good job closing has three other issues attached to it. And it's not really closing. It's under helping people with other issues that lead to closing. So, Robert, my question to you is, is that from your perspective as a leader of people, when you are coaching someone through a problem, how do you kind of get to the root cause of the problem? Because it might be they're not making enough phone calls and you start to sit down and have a conversation thinking it's about phone calls, and then you realize it has nothing to do with the phone calls. So what are your thoughts on that, Robert? Uh, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit the last call, but it's, it's absolutely all about asking a lot of curious questions about um, where they're at, uh, how they feel they're performing, and why they don't feel they're performing at a level where they need to. And, you know, sometimes it requires a series of conversations, right? You're not, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, and, you know, you're not certainly going to get to the root of a lot of issues on, you know, a first conversation, maybe a second or even a third for that matter. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, bringing folks around to a realization, to a self-realization, right? This is, this is what I think is important, Um and, uh, you know, getting them to a point of self-realization often, uh, you know, <laughs> means that you're, you're going to have to watch them fail a few times uh, before they get there. Meaning, you know, having that initial conversation, uh, having, you know, getting some honest feedback about what they feel is working and not working, and then letting them try to improve upon something or a point that they identify as the reason. Now, even though I, I may sit back and say, I don't think this is the reason at all, um, but sometimes you have to kind of let somebody go back and try what it is they're, you know, they're describing and, and feeling that the, the reason may be, and then revisit and say, okay, well, look, you know, how did that work out for you? You know, what type of results did you see? And, you know, then they, they may say, you know, yeah, the result was awesome, or they may say, yeah, you know, uh, still not getting where I want to be. And then I, you know, again, then uh, a lot of uh, more serious, uh, you know, curious questioning about why they didn't get there and then trying to lead the person to have that self-realization of, yeah, you know what, here's the reason. All right. Well, I Rob, think that's, that, yep. No, you go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, you're, you're good. You're okay. good. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to talk about how to have that conversation with the salesperson. So for Robert Bush, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm here with Robert Bush. And so, Robert, I want to expand on where we were. Um, so... We're talking about having that conversation and asking a lot of questions. And I wish it were as simple as that, although it's the lifeblood foundation starting point. So, Robert, here's where I want to go. You sit down, and this isn't about sales. This is about people. You know, you sit down a person. You see a trend. You see a pattern. You see a habit. First thing you have to be aware of, in my opinion, is, you know, how long do you have to see something happen for it to be a trend, pattern, or habit? So when you talk about self-awareness, it's complex because there's so many things you need to be self-aware of. But for the purpose of our conversation today, we see a trend. 
we sit down with the person, Robert, and we ask them, and we'll use the example, making enough calls. And so in a case like this, we go in and say, what can we do for you? How can we help you? Why, what, where are you struggling? And the challenge, Robert, is that I don't believe most people have that self-realization you were referring to in the first segment. And it doesn't mean they don't have the skill set. They may have the skill set. But I don't think most people, when they're, in, when they're in a rut or not executing a habit or something that's a part of their job, they give a thought to why because they kind of get complacent and get caught up in what they're doing. So to me, you have to be aware of people feel put on the spot. When you have a discussion with someone when they're not doing what they're supposed to do, they may have excuses. They may tend to be defensive. So, Robert, let me start right there for you. How do you create that openness within the conversation so people are even comfortable sharing and brainstorming with you what the actual challenges really may be? Yeah, uh, takes a while to build that level of trust and, and equity with that person. You know, it's certainly nothing, you're not going to have a conversation like that with someone that, you know, you haven't had time to build a rapport with. So, you know, I've always been a firm believer. No one jumps out of bed every day and says, I'm going to be terrible at my job today. <laughs> That's like, great. We, you know, we, we all, you know, we all want to be good at what we do. But innately, I, I, I believe there's, there's a fear of being open and honest with, you know, whether it's a peer or supervisor, you know, coworker, about how they feel they're performing in their role. They don't want to be seen as inadequate or incapable and et cetera. They don't, you know, there's this stigma of, God, you know, if I, if I open the door and expose my, my thoughts, my true thoughts about this, I feel like, they're going to believe I'm just not capable of doing the job and I'm not the right person and so on and so on. So I think there's layers of fear there. And I think the, the way we get around that is to build up equity before you can, you have a, a conversation like the one that you and I are about to describe, right? So uh, I, I think first you need that level of trust, that level of emotional comfort that this person knows that when you're going to have a conversation with them, regardless of what their answers are going to be, you know, you're going to be very non-judgmental, non-blaming. You're not, you know, they're, they're, there's no fear of getting in trouble or you judging them and feeling as if they're inadequate. And I think if, if you can start a conversation with a person where you're already at that level, you know, then, then I think that the questions become easier to ask, and I think the answers become a whole lot, you know, easier to respond to, and you can really get to the root of things a whole lot quicker without fear of, you know, someone thinking that you're just not able to do the job, right? Because I think the last thing people want to do is say, I don't know what the answers are. Uh, or, geez, you know, the answer is this, but, uh, you know, Robert might feel like, you know, um, you know, I'm not the right person for the role, or maybe I'm not good at what I'm doing, you know, so on and so on. So, Robert, this is fascinating to me because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of um, there could be three ways someone responds in the beginning of these conversations. One is they don't know the answers. Truly, they don't know the answers. The second is they could be in denial and make excuses and defend themselves. And the third answer is, they could work with you 
because they do ha- they do have that equity or you have that equity and they build relationships with you, right? So those are the three options, right? Absolutely. Okay. So here's what's fascinating to me. And I find myself having this kind of conversation with people all the time these days. When someone makes a decision in how they're going to communicate, often they've made a unilateral decision about how they think the results of that conversation are going to go. So, for instance, if my 14-year-old son does something he, doesn't, he isn't supposed to do and he lies to me about it, I've got to make a choice. Is he lying because he's trying to be malicious and deceive me? Or is he lying because if he thinks he tells the truth, that things will go really poorly? And here's my point I'm trying to make, Robert. You know, you made the point, and I thought it was so critical, that if, they, if a person does speak their truth, in a, in a conversation like this and says, Robert, you know, I think my real challenge is I don't really think I have a great process on the phone when I call prospects or I'm just not really feeling all that productive or motivated at my job. Your point is if someone risks saying that, it could confirm for the leader what they already thought that this, this, this guy or this, this woman isn't, aren't really good at their job. But this is my question to you, Robert. As a leader, and it's a two-part question, I want you to answer first for yourself, and then I want you to answer your perspective from a typical leader. If someone is coming to you and they answer, I don't know, or they deny and make excuses and defend, or they feel comfortable being open and sharing what their struggles are, for you, let's go with you first. Isn't the third option you would have significantly more respect for than the first two? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, when you start having conversations like that, using your example with your son, I'm sure your son didn't say, you know, I'm going to lie to my dad because I like it, right? Uh, or it makes me feel good inside. There's, there was something driving that, and most, most obviously, and, and you know, and again, it's easy to point out, uh, but you know, fear of disappointment, right? I don't want to disappoint my dad. My dad loves me. He he respects me. And it's the same way with, you know, between coworkers, you know, or, or a supervisor and, you know, someone that reports to them directly. It's, you know, I, I want to have that respect. I don't want to disappoint my supervisor or my boss or whoever. Uh, or, gosh, it could be. I just don't want to disappoint my significant other. Two minutes. Uh, by, by, by coming home one day and saying, yeah, my, my boss thinks I'm terrible at my job. And, you know, I had a bad day at work and, you know, so on and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's I, I really feel like that fear of disappointment or, uh, you know, fear of, you know, maybe, um, you know, if I'm open and honest, then, uh, yeah you know what, they're going to think I'm not the right person for the job. Okay, so so Robert, I want to just summarize something, and then we can continue this after our next break. So this is this is what I want you to be thinking out in, in between the break, okay? So what I think we're saying is that there may be a lot of fear for someone in that conversation to admit where they're struggling because it may confirm what a leader thinks, and then they may not want to fire them and hire them. So... You talk about being self-aware of something going into a conversation. You can ask questions. You can be a great listener. But the real challenge is, how do you get someone 
to acknowledge their fear of not wanting to disappoint you? How do you get someone to recognize that their fear of not wanting to speak their truth may be somewhat irrational because they haven't had that experience with you? They may not have even had that experience with another boss. It's really just about they're people pleasers and they don't want to disappoint. So I want you to think about that. How do you discern between is it a fear of it's actually happened to you in the past and that's why you don't want to do it? Or is it people pleasing disappointment tendencies? In either way, how do you get someone to overcome those fears? So, Robert, when we come back, you're going to answer that question for us. And uh, for I Communicate and Robert Bush, I'm Mark Altman, right after the break. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Robert, hey, uh, good to have you back on the show. We're back to I Communicate. And I promise we'll, we'll get to what I said we would coming out of the break in that conversation. But I have to tell our listeners, you know, Robert said something really compelling during the break. And before I say what it is, I got to say this, Robert. I, I'm not saying this to be nice. Um, I, I so value people you can connect with. Uh, intellectually and emotionally, and uh, man, our conversations just—I I so cherish them. So thank you. Um, yeah, me too, man. It, it gets me thinking. <laughs> yeah, and that's the—that's sure. the idea. Look, it gets the creative juices going. Yeah. And you know what's funny, Robert, about that is I tell people all the time, you know, when you're deciding, and I don't mean to digress. I'm just going to do a, a very quick one-minute digression. A lot of people, when they're looking at learning opportunities or growth opportunities. I don't care whether you're going to see a coach, you're going to see a therapist, you're going to see a trainer. A lot of people don't know what they should expect and who's good and who isn't good. And I have to tell you, you know, one of one of my benchmarks for a good coach or therapist or trainer is someone who really stimulates thought to the point where that thought translates into new awarenesses that translates into new actions. So um, right on with that. So, Robert, here's what, here's what Robert said during the break. Um, he said, I can't afford to have a bad day. I'm, I could be leading 10, 20, 50, 60 people. So that's a ton of pressure to have on yourself, even though I agree with you. But I want you to be more specific for our listeners. What does a bad day mean? What, what do the characteristics look like? you as a leader modeling behavior? Yeah. So, you know, let's just say, for example, uh, you know, I've got something going on in my personal life that's just, you know, a challenge. And, um, you know, being being self-aware of that and, you know, realizing that when I walk through the door and go to work, you know, I've, I've got to leave that outside. I can't, I can't let it affect my energy uh, because, you know, en- you know, energy is contagious, uh, attitude, you know, I'll, I'll call it attitude. I call it energy. Some people refer to it as attitude, but, um, at the end of the day, if I come in with a bad attitude and I start to engage with people, you know, people are very receptive and they're going to pick up on that. And, you know, it, it's, it's just going to bring, it's just going to de-elevate everyone that I, I interact with throughout the day and then potentially if I affect those people in a negative way, everyone they interact with on a, uh, on a daily basis to and including customers, uh, you know, will, 
uh, you know, elevate uh, that as well. So, you know, when when leaders come in and, you know, you keep things positive, uh, regardless of what's going on, and I think that's that's what we I think that's the hardest part of being a leader is is maintaining that positive energy and that positive enthusiasm and letting people know things are going to be okay even through the darkest times because then all the interactions whether it's you know internally or externally with customers become you know positive interactions as well. So Robert, let me ask you a follow up to that um, because you're talking about you're describing a bad day or a good day, I should say, is it's based on energy, emotion, attitude, mindset, mood, whatever. So you're talking about the positivity piece, but there are some times, and I think this is, I think you're right, that is probably the biggest or one of the top three challenges of a leader, but I think there's something that extends to that, and that is the authenticity that goes with that. Because you can put on a brave face, but people read through that. So how do you when you're not feeling positive, when you're not feeling like certain things are okay, technology sucks or there's a system in your organization that's breaking <laughs> down, like yeah. h- how do you do that authentically when in the back of your mind you're saying, this sucks? Well, you know, I, I had, uh, when, when I was about 16, I was going through a really rough patch and uh, uh, a mentor of mine uh was heavily involved in the Edgar Casey Foundation, Virginia Beach, and so on and so on. And he took me aside. And he's like, you know, even when it's challenging, uh, he says, sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, if if you're upset, he says, or you're miserable, or something's dragging you down, he said, smile. He says, work through it, fake through it. He says, before you know it, and it doesn't take long. Before you know it, you're really not faking. So, albeit, I I think. To your point, I agree that, you know, yeah, people will see right through fakeness. But I think if genuinely that's where you want to be and that's who you want to be and you want to be positive and you want to, uh, you know, elevate people around you, you know, there might be a very short time. And when I'm talking short time, you know, not a full day, maybe a half an hour, hour, whatever. I think before you know it, you're really not being fake. Uh, it just it just becomes part of you, and uh, before you know it, you know it's the smile's real, and um, you know I, I, it's just been a mantra of mine. Well, but but see, that's interesting how how your answer evolved because this mentor of yours taught you fake it till you make it, and to to some extent, a lot of people at some point in their life fake it till they make it. The thing that's interesting about it is, I don't like the sentence or the phrase because it implies something deceitful. However, however, if people listen to your answer all the way through, you weren't actually advocating for fake it till you make it. You were advocating for defaulting to a growth mindset. And I've I've explained this to people, I feel like a lot in the last couple of weeks. And this this is how I say it, Robert. I said, if you are a growth mindset person, I don't want you to say you failed and here's what I learned from it. If you're a growth mindset person, I want you to say, here's what I just learned. You don't have to add the failure piece because a growth mindset is inherently you're learning from mistakes. So when you're trying to authentically portray positivity, even in the darkest or most difficult times to do that, 
if your default reaction internally is to look for the positive, see things glass half full, it, it is authentically who you are, as you just said. You don't need to fake it till you make it. This is true. This is true. And, you know, it, it ties back to being self-aware, right? We it talked does. about uh, just a moment ago, right? you got to be honest with yourself before you can be honest with others. But at the same time, you need to be self-aware before you can help others be self-aware as well. It's so the, if you're... If, it's the face if it till you make it. It's the what, Jess? Yeah. Face it till you make face it. Face it till you make it. it. Face it face till you it. make it. That's brilliant. There you go. I love it. But but it's but it's true. You know, it's it's. I love that, by the way. Thank yeah, that's you. great. That's because, great because it is it is more authentic, which is where I was headed. Uh, but but at the end of the day, uh, you know, being self, you you need to be self aware going into a conversation, trying to help someone else become self aware. Uh, you know, you, you can't come from a, from a different place, you know, emotionally yourself, uh, when you, if you're trying to get someone to, you know, a, a level of, uh, self-awareness. Yeah. Otherwise, I, yeah. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think otherwise you just end up chasing your tail, right? You're, you're doing, A, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, which to your point earlier, people will see right through as well, right? I mean, yeah. if people knew that I was fake or anybody or a leader's fake or whatever, um, and, you know, they're really not self-aware themselves, but, hey, you know, this person's telling me that, you know, trying to help me get to a different place, you know, why should I listen to them? Uh, pe- people will recognize uh, genuine behavior, uh, and but it takes a while to build up that credibility with people because, you know, you and I have had that conversation before where we're, we're all creatures of all the experiences that we've had over, our, you know, through our life. And, you know, if if I'm someone who's had a lot of bad bosses, so to speak, that were, you know, just beating me down all the time, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a while to build that type of credibility and equity up to someone like that to let them know that, hey, you know what, you know, it's genuine. You know, I want to help you along. You can be open and honest. And, you know, the questions I'm asking, I'm not, you know, trying to ask them in order to you know, make you feel bad about yourself. I'm trying to help you get to a point where we can get to the root of the matter and help elevate your performance, which in essence, you know, can bleed over into, you know, all, all aspects of, you know, someone's life. Yeah. And I, and I'll give you a great example, Robert, you know, um, I'm coaching an executive right now in, in the first session I had with the person, they said, um, when they filled out their intake form, they said, you know, I, I just started a new job and I don't want to repeat the same mistakes from my last job. And I said, oh, you mean you want to take the lessons you've learned from your last job and apply them? And she laughed and she said, yeah, you're right. That's a better way to say it. And I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I can't tell people enough, you know, when Jasmine interjected with the face it, when you, uh, face it uh, until you make it, we're going to pick on pick up on that in the next segment, and I'm going to tell you a deeper meaning that goes with that. For I communicate, Robert it. Bush. I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now I communicate continues on full service radio, eight thirty WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I communicate. I'm here with uh, Robert Bush. 
a senior vice president of sales, uh, director, senior director of sales, excuse me, at Connection. I just got promoted. Well, seriously, I'm, I'm for it. Um, so <laughs> listen, just want to get some closure to what we were just talking about, and then we're going to go back to what we promised our listeners about that conversation. So real quick, you know, I say this to people all the time. I call my company Mindset Go. It's intentional. It wasn't an accident. Accident. Mindset is so critical. I just gave an example before the break of, you know, not you don't want to repeat mistakes at your next job. You want to apply what you've learned at the next job. So when Jasmine said, face it until you make it instead of fake it until you make it, that's a mindset thing. If you say fake it, that lends itself to imposter syndrome. If you say face it, it means you're self-aware and proactive and advocating for yourself So there's so many connotations. So when people talk about positive psychology, you know what? I don't even care if you don't want to have positive psychology. Just don't have negative. At bare minimum, make it neutral, you know, and be curious and default to a minimum neutral standard. But the bottom line is that to me is what mental toughness is. People throw around that word mental toughness all the time. Mental toughness starts with how you talk about how you talk to yourself your words, your actions, and your defaults inside as a parts person and how you default that mindset like we've been talking about. So just really powerful stuff around mindset and uh, being authentic. All right, so I promise, let's go back to where we were. We're talking about having the conversation with someone who may not even be aware of why they're struggling with a certain habit. Um, They may be aware, they may not be aware, and they may be aware, but they're going to be defensive and be in denial. And so part of the challenge as a leader is going into that conversation. There's some things you've really got to think about because if you have equity with that person and you have a track record with that person where you know they tend to be defensive and make excuses, you need to adapt your approach. Can't use the same approach. So my question, Robert, to you is you as a leader have to worry about The person may not tell me what I want to hear or what I hope to hear because they don't want to disappoint me. They may not because they may think it confirms things about them that are going to pave the way to them getting demoted or fired. Or it could be they don't want to admit it because it will impact their self-esteem and how they see their self. Holy smokes, Robert, that's a lot to be worried about as a leader. How the heck do you have that part of a conversation and get to the root cause? Well, I, you know, leading by example, I, you know, when you're having uh, a conversation like that, uh, you know, taking a page out of your book, I think it's important to take some time before the conversation to say, okay, hey, look, you know, where, where is, you know, where is this particular person today? Uh, What, what, where are they at emotionally? At least my interpretation of it. Uh, Where is it we're trying to get to? And then, start to kind of break out. Okay, well, you know, start to list out some questions and follow them out even before you have the conversation, right? Almost almost anticipating, okay, well, this person could respond with this, then I should ask this next question. And, you know, taking those 10 minutes to prep, and then when you have the conversation, you're, you're more prepared. Um, and you're more prepared with what at least you believe might be the reaction from that person just based on experience. And I, I think that the biggest part of it is how you approach it, right? So as leaders, 
you know, I, I think we need to approach things from a place of humility um, and not a place of authority. And that can be a little bit more challenging than it sounds, to, to be perfectly blunt. And, um, you know, in doing so, we kind of need to practice what we preach, right? So if, if I'm trying to get someone to a place of, uh, you know, being self-aware, I need to approach it from a self-aware uh, standpoint as well. I need to approach, approach it from a place of humility and begin to ask, some, you know, the questions about where they're at and how things are going. And, you know, again, they, they need to understand that, you know, you're, you're not going to, you know, you know, chew their head off or you're not going to have, uh, you know, a negative thought about them. I've had some very good conversations with folks over the years. And, you know, sometimes the end result was, you know, you're a great employee, but sounds like you're in the wrong role. Sounds like you would rather do uh, more operational type work or, you know what, you, sales wasn't what you thought it would be. You know, you, you don't want to admit failure because, again, to your point, right, you talked about that earlier, um, you know, that, that could have a negative impact on myself just thinking, oh, geez, I failed, you know, I'm a failure, so on and so on. But, you know, helping someone have that, the, the, the thought that, hey, look, you know what, um, if I'm not being honest about my skill set and where I'm at and how things are, I'm actually doing myself a disservice because I could either be really happy doing the job I'm doing because I'm more successful at it, or I could be really happy doing something different, even within the same organization, because I realize my skill sets lend themselves better to doing a different type of work. Right. So, um, you know, being able to have that conversation, and I, and I really feel like uh, the prep time is, is absolutely critical, and it's something that you have to practice. Uh, you know, the sales managers I work with, uh, you know, once a month, we sit down and we role play. Uh, now, once a month really isn't a lot of time, but we take real-world scenarios and we actually role play through them, and it, and it helps because, like we talked about on the front side of the conversation, you know, once you start to embark down this path of self-awareness and emotional intelligence, you need to keep going with it. You have to exercise it. It's it's nothing you can just turn on and off. And if you're gonna if you're gonna be good at it, you, you got to be able to walk the talk. Well, Robert, that's that's uh, phenomenal. I I, I want to uh, respond to a couple of things you said. I, I first I want to share that. Uh, true story. Last week, I was out to dinner with a CEO and his right-hand person, and um, their their relationship is struggling a bit. And one of the points that this right-hand person made during the dinner was he worried that his job is at stake. This person is not speaking up for what he thinks is right within the organization. He doesn't feel comfortable. He's worried about the consequences and the ramifications. And he looked at the CEO right in the eye, and he said, like, I know you're not going to fire me, but I still worry. And because that fear is a little irrational because he has a family to support. So even though, like, rationally he knows his job performance is good enough that he wouldn't be fired for speaking up and being assertive, it's still an irrational fear. And that's part of what Robert and I are talking today is people have irrational fears all the time. But if you can flush out those fears through impactful questions and empathic and reflective listening that you're a step ahead. 
Now, there's something else Robert said that is huge, and it's the expression, clarity equals kindness. So Robert says, hey, that person may be in the wrong role. Um, The job may not be for them anymore. It could be that they shouldn't even be at that company anymore. And frankly, that doesn't have to end with an adversarial conversation. Sometimes people just are kind of hanging around because of obligation or guilt, and they, they can't take that step. It could be that they don't belong at the company anymore. But, you know, Robert, the thing that I love most about those conversations when, they, when they're the most successful is when you go into a conversation. If you said, Mark, what would be your biggest outcomes to a conversation like that? One of them would be that the conversation started with the person not making enough sales calls and that you realized by the end of the conversation that it wasn't about sales calls at all. It was about motivation and confidence. And you understood the root reasons why they weren't feeling motivated and confident. And to me, and you said it earlier, Robert, this is usually, these kinds of issues are usually not one and done conversations. You know, understanding what is holding someone back, getting them comfortable enough where they will share with you what those obstacles are. And even if they're blind and they don't realizing it, you helping them through that self-realization, like those are the outcomes. Because when leaders ask me, why am I having two, three, and four conversations with someone? It's because you're not fleshing out the truth and the root cause and getting the person comfortable the very first conversation. Because if you were, the amount of increased repeat conversations would go down considerably. So, look, Robert, um, thank you again for being on the show. I, I feel like that conversation is a microcosm for how many I mean, that would, there are so many conversations like the ones we fleshed out that happen in the workplace. And uh, so I appreciate your knowledge and your expertise in, in sharing that on the show today. I appreciate you inviting me on. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure, and it does uh, provoke a lot of thought, <laughs> really good thought. So uh, thank you so much. So for today, final thoughts, you know, walk away with Robert said you can't you have to be honest with yourself. It's the self-awareness going into a conversation. Be honest with yourself. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How will it impact the success of that conversation? And for more information on Training and Coaching Mindset Go, it's 978-793-1159 or info at mindsetgo.com. Jasmine, thank you again for producing. And for Mark Altman and I Communicate and Robert Bush, we'll see you next time.